So, so Ryan, are you saying that the coronavirus infection is not the only virus infection they should be on the lookout oh, for? Come on. Welcome to 30 Day InfoSec, a podcast that covers the last month of InfoSec happenings. This is your host, TJ. And Ryan, let's start the show. So, hey, Ryan, I wanted to talk to you about uh, COVID. I know we're experiencing tough times here, and I was reading an article about Checkpoint. Uh, they actually were able to find 16 malicious applications on legitimate and I double, I double say that legitimate, <laughs> yeah, legitimate app stores that uh, were posing to be coronavirus apps that were in fact malicious. What do you think about that? I mean, there's, there's uh, uh, obviously, you know, being stuck inside with everybody. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going around right now, especially in, you know, the offensive uh, space. Every, everybody's looking at ways to compromise individuals. So, you know, this is the new hotness going around. So, I mean, they're going to hit everything. I mean, you know what are what are services that we're all using right now? Online streaming, they're going to hit Netflix. They're going to hit your new your new Disney Plus subscription. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff rolling around. It, it <laughs> you know, being stuck inside is actually going to be detrimental to a lot of a lot of people being susceptible to some of these phishing campaigns. Yeah, I think everyone's already high phone time that is just uh, blowing through the roof right now. So that's a really big threat surface. The funny thing is during that article, they talked about three of them being created exclusively using Metasploit, which, I mean, you're a red teamer. <laughs> you know how easy that is to uh, leverage. It's just funny that it came and went past the app stores and were able to be deployed to the app store. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> funny story, actually, just looking back in time. So I, I actually gave a talk. Uh, was it, I guess it was two years ago and I gave a talk on offensive security for one of the popular applications that are out there. They have an app store and I published an application into the app store and it was just using stock Metasploit code just as a proof of concept, but it also got approved. So, I mean, that check, that the checks and balances that are there, they're, I mean, they're very minimal, you know, just in the Android app store, the iOS app store and any app store, the checks are there more as a, a you know. Uh, kind of that <laughs> warm feeling of yes, we're doing something for you, but you know, at the end of the day, you you need to be responsible for yourself. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I you'd think that the security teams at the places uh, that have these app stores, we won't name any names, of course, uh, they would have at least some people, especially the plethora amount of researchers that many of those organizations have would have resources to look at things like Metasploit because they know that, you know, there's going to be a large swath of people that are going to be using off-the-shelf exploits and and hacking tools. So being able to sort of block them out would probably be really... Yeah, but I mean, you got you really to think about the amount of things that are coming in the door, right? You know, the amount of applications, especially now, right now, right now, as everybody's stuck at home, you know, and, you know, people are getting laid off. Everybody's looking at other streams of income. So, you know, app development is, you know, one one avenue that people could possibly do as a, you know, a new new revenue stream. So I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, an influx of new applications coming into the app store. So, you know, looking at those new applications and hopefully filtering out malicious ones, that's it's, it's a hard thing to do to tackle. Are you saying that we should have uh, started app development instead of a podcast? <laughs> uh, maybe. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's true though. Uh, it, it, there are just going to be a lot of apps, and you know, back in the day, we used to say there's an app for that. That was the funny yep. phrase that everyone has, and now like we actually see like there's a malware. Uh, <laughs> there's a malware because anytime there's something new that's happening in society, it becomes malicious almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying to begin with, I mean, there's an influx in in phishing campaigns right now with you know Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, all the online streaming platforms because that's what everybody's you know looking at right now. So if you know you and I, we got an email that said, Hey, you know, we're going to cancel your, your Netflix subscription. If you don't, you know, click this link and verify your password. Hell, I'm going to click that damn link. Cause <laughs> I don't want to lose my Netflix. I got nothing <laughs> else going on. Yeah. That's, that's going to be big there. I remember everywhere else is getting like the free monthly accounts and all that stuff. So like you're expecting to get all the spam that are giving you deals and offers. And most of the time you're so bored that you probably just want to try them out. Like yeah, I, they give you a free month of X, Y, and Z. Let's do it. I mean, one of the things you got to remember, you know, if, if the product's free, <laughs> you're the product. So, you know, you, you got to. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to watch out for yourself. The, the company, you know, they're going to do their due diligence as much as they can, but they are not going to be the end all be all. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like the, the types of malware that were going through and being able to make it onto the legitimate app stores. Uh, first one, those Metasploit playlists that we already talked about. There's the bankers, uh, Cerberus, to be exact, uh, Android banking Trojan uh, that was able to get past the app stores there. Uh, there was a pay call dialer, which is basically where this mobile application that calls out to these paid services so that they can make money off of that and then a hidden ad service you mean like 1-900 numbers <laughs> uh, a lot of wait am i showing yeah, my age now <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say 411 but you know to each his own all right yeah and i think the last one was a, a rat a mobile mobile rat that uh was used in that's the most scary one because that's can be used for surveillance. So imagine, you know, a nation state trying to observe many of their adversaries or even some of their local citizens to try to monitor what's going on, uh, deploying something to the app store under the guise of being, you know, a coronavirus app or even something that's, you know, in pop culture or, you know, relevant to the times. Or just a game, and man. Using that. Yeah. And like we, from this, I've learned that there's just too much stuff going on with uh, secure application security that some of this stuff's going to actually end up showing up in the app store. And, yeah, you know, I mean, you're, you're under I mean, that it's, it's false sense of security. It's one of the things that I like about. I mean, I, I'll I'll be the first one to say I'm, I'm probably a big, huge Apple fanboy. But one of the nice things about the the iOS app store is when I go to install an app, I, I have a lot of a lot of checks and balances that I can do with my apps. I can turn off, you know, the camera, turn off GPS locations. And I and Android's getting a lot of it and they do have a lot of it in the, especially in the newer versions. But if you're running an older version, I mean you're gonna install an app and you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and the, the rough part is like every app today has every type of functionality in it so like you download an app just a to, to-do list and it wants to know your location and you're like why do i need to know my location i'll be like oh yeah. it's just so that we can tell you relevant to where you are <laughs> oh you, you, you want to connect with your friends like sure is that it yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Do you want to see when Bob's close by so you guys can knock that task out together? Like that type of stuff. I mean, have you have you looked at like like the new Apple authentication? No, I haven't that, seen that. That's actually pretty nice. So Apple's introducing with with the newest iOS versions Apple authentication. So a lot of apps have you know like Google, Facebook, or Twitter, you know half a dozen other social media networks that you can authenticate with. But Apple's all allowing a new authentication platform where you don't have to get a, give up any of your identity to authenticate with these applications. So you just kind of check the box, authenticate with them, and Apple says, hey, you're good to go, but they're not giving up any of your data when they do it. So it's actually it, it was actually pretty cool. Um, I haven't actually looked at it enough to, to say, you know, if it's stands up to what they're saying, but it does look really nice, especially, you know, with all this, these new apps that are coming out with the uh, coronavirus, you know, it would be nice to be able to hopefully at least only give away partial pizza pieces of my data that, that could be compromised instead of all of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's actually pretty awesome. Another thing they looked into is that there are a lot of domains that are, you know, masquerading as coronavirus advice. So, you know, the political climate and all that stuff aside, there are actually legitimately uh, malicious domains that are addressing coronavirus as like, this is an informational site, and they're using that as a guise to have people download malicious payloads, documents, and whatnot, because they're looking for this coronavirus information. And so that's one of those big things where I, I think all of our viewers will have to be super vigilant on the information that they look at about this virus and especially where they're looking at it. If it doesn't look like a website that, you know, is legitimate, hasn't been up for a long time, it's using poor, I guess, uh, graphics or, you know, there's something suspicious about it, most likely it's might, and most likely you, you're not going to be, it wouldn't hurt to have a second look and make sure that what you're looking at is actually a legitimate website, throw it into safe browsing or something along those lines. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> this is, you know, more of a time than ever to, you know, be second guessing anything that comes in, you know, those links that are sent to you, the emails that are sent to you, everything needs to be looked at diligently because, you know, with everybody, you know, with the virus going on, everybody's working from home. Security is, you know, kind of gone out the window for operations at the moment. So everybody's making sure that we can move forward as a company because, you know, we're having minimal staff because a lot of people are getting laid off. So you have minimal staff and operations are being put as a priority. So we're trying to move forward as a company. We want to make sure that XYZ gets done, which is good, but security is being put as a second thought. And so, yeah, everyone needs to be be diligent. <laughs> look at those links. <laughs> look at the emails. Double check the attachments. Don't, you know, don't basically don't click shit. <laughs> so, so Ryan, are you saying that the coronavirus infection is not the only virus infection they should be on the lookout oh, for? Oh, come on. <laughs> that was a bad, bad dad joke, TJ. Come on, bad dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On that note, I think uh, let's transition to the next story here. So the, the next one I got for you is the Dark Nexus botnet, which was uh, reported on by Bitdefender. This is an IoT-based botnet. It, you know, you can think of the Mirai um, and Reaper and all that stuff. Uh, those type of families, same, same Nexus. 
no pun intended. <laughs> uh, this this botnet is really novel because it has coverage for 12 different architectures. So you're thinking IoT-based botnet is trying to target, you know, your Internet of Things devices, such as routers, you know, all of those type of connected devices there. And those things have plenty of different platforms. And it's hitting against 12 different architectures, which makes it novel. And also it's growing to be one of the bigger botnets out there right now. I so yeah, that's crazy, right? That's awesome. I actually liked the technique that they were using on the compromised devices to ensure that they were always the you know highest priority process on the device. It was actually looking and whitelisting yeah. processes. I thought that was actually very unique, especially for an IoT you know piece of malware. You know, you you see some of this stuff on you know PC or you know Linux malware, but you don't necessarily see this on IoT malware. I thought that was kind of unique. Yeah, they're definitely getting smarter, and and I feel like it's like a uh, it's like a, a territorial battle that's going on with a lot of these bots. I mean, they're fighting over these really ill secured resources across the globe that provide you know if you if you get access to one router in some unknown region of an anomalous place. Like that does not really matter, but because there are such a large volume of these, that's what makes this, uh, uh, I think, a novel, a novel approach to like building a botnet. IoT devices are everywhere; oh, yeah. they're not really secure traditionally. I mean, there are some botnets that will actually go in and protect the system itself because it wants to only be the only infection on that system, and and you see them coming in here and really just working on gaining access and then maintaining access by uh, just working throughout how, they, how they're perceived by the device and how they can prevent other infections from coming across because they'll be scanned. And then someone else will try to you know, drop their, their payloads and their bots yeah. on, I mean, onto that device. I mean, we've seen, we've seen that, that type of uh, you know, mindset with different pieces of malware on the you know, Linux or, or Windows side of the house where they'll come in, they'll patch the exploit, but they'll still infect the box and, and maintain their status on there so that they can be, you know, still utilized in, in some of these DDoS campaigns. But, you know, seeing that on the IoT side of the house was kind of unique for me, um, especially with this this technique of, of maintaining superiority over processes and stuff. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. That was kind of new for me. I, I thought that was really kind of cool. But, yeah, I don't know. IoT is the the new new hotness, right? It does all the normal stuff too. So it it does the brute forcing where it takes like all the default passwords for those devices. Once it identifies what device it is, it'll try its default passwords. It runs all the known exploits and all that stuff. So it's it's doing everything that a IoT botnet does, and then they just built a little bit on it by you know taking a little bit of more thought and care into their into their operations so that makes it a pretty novel yeah definitely i mean eh. <laughs> you got you got all these uh, t tons of routers out there and no one really knows what they're doing you know out, outside of the you know it it field knows what they're doing they're just plug these things in and you know hope that they have internet connectivity so you know no one's no one's really looking and locking these things down Yeah, and it's funny because in, later on in the article, you can actually see that they um, they have connections to other uh, botnet families 
like the uh, Ho-Ho family, the botnet binaries, uh, they, they see some commonalities in there. And so they're either thinking that it's from the same sole person or it's like a copycat type type deal. And so it's interesting always to like see how these actors, especially the ones with like the large DDoS services, which this one is, it focuses on DDoS, uh, they advertise and how they like sort of uh, project their capabilities on uh, forums because that they have to sell uh, DDoS services in order to make money off of their botnet operations. And so it's it's just interesting to see their ads and sometimes I'll post YouTube videos and all that stuff. So this was a really, really good read from the past month on that. Have they started selling access to this botnet yet? Have you seen that? They tie it to one actor that has been selling access to botnets. Uh, the hard part about that is like most of the time uh, the the actors don't tie their botnets to their DDoS services. Obviously. So it makes it a little bit harder for them to... <laughs> that makes to, sense. Yeah, makes it a little harder to, for you to pair the one, two together. But, you know, there's there's different things like saying like, oh, my thing was instrumental in XYZ takedown, and then people are able to attribute that takedown to a family, and then they can make the connection there. Uh, that's yet to happen. I think they're still, you know, working on the attribution piece of this. But it was just interesting to see, you know, some of the some of the actors here, uh, and how they how they perceive themselves on online. Yeah, I mean, IoT is probably the new. Well, it has been for a little bit, but it's it's becoming more more and more mainstream as the new new attack platform to go after. I know within the offensive space, especially just consulting, like we've had more and more business pop up for devices where people come in and, hey, we want IoT testing done on our devices. And so, you know, we're looking at the the entire platform. It's been quite interesting. I, I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. So have you been using a lot of default passwords? <laughs> it, it, I mean, uh, we, we've been giving a lot of recommendations for changing default passwords. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we're looking at the device as a whole. So it's, it's like it, the easiest gig in the world. <laughs> Just typing in password, password. Oh, I'm in. We're, look, Here's your we're looking at the device <laughs> as a whole. Like, you know, can, can the case come off easily where you can get access to like a JTAG port or, you know, is, is there is there telnet available you know think, things like that and a lot it does it does boil down to a lot of the you know old school mistakes that we you know all of us don't do on our, our normal pc platforms these are the same mistakes that we're now making on iot platforms you know history does repeat yeah. itself oh yeah oh yeah that's and the thing is it's so hard to change those things because there there's like probably fifty thousand to a couple hundred thousands of IoT devices sitting in warehouses that are yet to to go into people's homes, right? And they're not going to go in and change default passwords for all those things. Oh yeah, because it, it means it's a lot harder, right? So uh, when I'm looking at a PC platform, I can you know just issue a password reset my AD and I'm good to go, and my passwords reset across a thousand boxes. But when I'm looking at an IoT machine. I either need to SSH into all of them and reset, you know, hard coded credentials that are yeah. on the on the device, or you know, physically plug into the device to to reset those passwords. Yeah, people barely even reflash their firmware for their routers. So, you know, the the light bulb or the the sprinkler system sensor and all that stuff that's never going to happen. Those are going to be bots forever. Yeah.
So TJ, did you did you hear about TravelX getting popped? They're having to pay out two point three million in Bitcoin. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of money to be handing over to to cyber criminals. I mean, that's a huge payout. I mean, we, we I you know, in my day job, I, I have to deal with a lot of this, and you know, two point three million is actually probably one of the higher ones that I've seen. Yeah, and it looks like it was Revil. That was the yeah. This, this one was Revil. Yeah. I mean, have you dealt with a lot of different other um, malware families in, in the ransomware space? Yeah, Riot is probably the 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 big dog of all of them. But I mean, we we've seen, especially like in in my day job, we've seen things from Ryuk to Revol to uh, even some old school lockers that were like literally systems that were you know. Basically, in the closet for a long time, and someone turns it on. And it's like, oh, this is this is compromised. Maybe that's why that person never used it before. So, that's really the. It, it's really interesting just to see how long-standing ransomware has been as a as a malware threat. I actually dealt with a company recently that was infected with ransomware. Well, they were infected, I should say, with an actor, and then didn't realize it until the ransomware hit. And so, I mean, they were, you know, they were popped for months and months. And when they started figuring it out, that's when the ransomware hit. <laughs> so it, it turns out that, you know, that that's kind of like one of the, the go-to tricks in the bag now is, you know, when we're caught, oh, let's just start affecting with ransomware and let's hopefully get a payout. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen that a lot and I, I call it the scorched earth method so they operate in the environment as long as they can and then once they realize that they're starting to get uh, eyes on them they just you know try to pull out and just destroy as much as possible to get that last payout and ransomware is like a really good last payout because that sort of like is the end of the deal standpoint because they're they're actually uh locking up resources so technically they're not going to be able to operate on those systems after you know, the ransomware is running to a certain extent anyway, because all the documents that they were, you know, they would probably wanted to exfiltrate if they haven't done it already are already encrypted. And so it makes it, you know, an interesting way to sort of end a whole uh, cyber operation against a, a environment. And it's, it's definitely scary stuff because of how prevalent it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just, I don't know, just, just the easy easiness of it you know because usually usually these guys that are dropping this stuff they you know they've been in the network for a minute so they've been looking around they know they they know your systems they know your network and it's like all right cool we've been looking around here for a little bit but you want to start blocking your c2 cool let's you know execute one command and as you said scorch earth we're just gonna burn everything down and the interesting thing is that all the victims that get hit with this their main focus is on the ransomware because that's the thing that they can see it's tangible. And so the, the thought process of saying they've been in this environment for X amount of time, what could they have taken? What could they have done? Doesn't even come across. I, a lot of times, especially when you're doing like root cause analysis for these things, you identify that, oh, they had credentials. They had domain admin. Like this is actually how they deployed ransomware most of the time is they just actually use the tools that are available to them as a malicious system administrator using sysadmin credentials to deploy the malware payloads pretty easily. And so it's, it's, 
crazy to think like that people are actually getting alerted because that they've been compromised just because the the actors have decided to expose themselves by running ransomware and and show the scope of how much control they had i mean i mean they, these guys have been hitting everybody i mean you, you heard about the 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 attack on cognizant right yeah yeah i've heard yeah, that one that crazy. was huge now i mean they got hit with the maze maze ransomware and <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see a uh you know cybersecurity or you know information technology company like that just get just get popped with ransomware as easily as they did yep. and it services means that you have access to other environments oh yeah which makes that's, it super scary that's extremely scary because the environments that you have access i mean it's you know it's hundreds of thousands of customers that you're looking at which just falling back a little bit you you, you see I see, I see this a lot in cases with attackers where they're hitting MSSPs or things like that to just get access. Yeah, yeah and that's that's big. They they have just an inherent trust. So your your third party vendors have an inherent trust most of the time with uh, your organization. So you know they get popped, you get popped. It's sort of like the supply chain, right? If you buy a car, <laughs> yep. And I mean, that's... <laughs> you buy a car from someone, you're trusting that all those parts are going to work the way that you know, your car creator purchased them from someone else. So there's a trust there and you're just moving backwards to these ultimate levels of trust with all these different parties. I mean, it's a textbook supply chain attack. Yep. (laughs) No, I mean, supply chain attacks, MSSPs, I mean, they are hot targets and they are things that I see quite frequently, both in my day job in the offensive space or defensive space, and my day job in the office, offensive space, we see it as well. Um, and it's actually things that we target and go after just to show how easy those things are and you know how much you need to be aware of this because a lot of people are not aware of it. Hey, my AC vendor comes in and updates my AC once a week, but they need domain admin credentials. Why the hell do they need domain admin credentials? No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing this? But let me show you what they can do by giving them domain admin credentials, you know, things like that. It's just nuts. Yeah. At least privileges for the win. Exactly. Here. exactly just, right. You don't have, if you don't have a need for it, then why do you have it? Yep. One other scary thing about maze is that it sounds like they've started to transition from just ransomware to exfiltrating data and then ransomware. So it puts more pressure on the, the victims to pay off because they'll threaten to release your data because they actually have it. And that is a terrifying transition that ransomware has started to take. And I know that um, Revil has also started to do that. Yeah. Um, so those families are definitely going to, you know, start the trend of data leakage prior to ransomware, which makes it a little bit harder for people to say, nope, I'm not going to pay the ransom. I'm going to restore for backups. Neflin started it as well. I've, I've noticed. Yeah, it's super scary because you think about think about how people would, could even pay after that, and the data could still be released. And the fact that digital data is cop like you can copy it and it can go everywhere, so they could sell it to you know 
competitors. They can sell it back to you and all that stuff. It's just a lot of trust. Yeah, I mean, it, it, remo- it removes all of your choice from you, right? <laughs> okay, cool. I'm not going to pay because I have backups because I did all my due diligence. Well, it doesn't matter. We're going to release this <laughs> on the open web. Like it, you basically have to pay now for ransomware. Yeah, I think some of them even have websites for releasing this data. Which yeah, is, there's there's you know, been super scary. There's been a handful of websites that popped up both on the clear web and the dark web that we've we've had to <laughs> deal with in my in my day job. Yep, I bet you there's no uh, no worse worse day for a C level when they they find out all their company's data is not only ransomware so they can't use it but is available somewhere online for people to watch and look at and and pin through yeah pretty much yeah i mean it, it's not it's scary hey ryan so what happened last not- month and what's coming up this month hell i don't know what happened last month no i'm just playing uh, <laughs> i mean with, with everything going on in the world a lot of conferences this month have well a lot of conferences this year honestly have pivoted into online um i know for instance coming up um whenever we release this episode which i hope is friday um is going to be happening like derpcon is happening this friday or today i should say depending on release date um and so that will be a lot of information security talks there's a lot of training ctfs going on um things that are coming up you know next month or in the future this year that will either drop in the show notes, whatnot. There's a Wild West Hacking Fest that's going on. Um, we should be finding out next month if DEFCON slash Black Hat is actually going to happen. Um, <laughs> Dark Tangent has, has actually posted quite a few very detailed pieces of intel talking about, you know, just the virus in general, what's going on within the world, and you know how we're actually going to approach this going into you know the summer months and going into you know hacker summer camp and and what we're going to do so i think the deadline that they're they're talking about is may 15th for for deciding what's going to happen so we'll know if defcon's canceled again this yeah, year yeah i mean it, it's the rumor every year but i think this is going to be the first year <laughs> it's real, actually truly canceled um i mean to me i i think it is Oh yeah, but I, I think I think honestly it is going to be canceled this year. I, I think <laughs> just with everything that's going on, I, I think I think ninety nine percent of conferences are going to be canceled this year. It's it, it's just a smarter move, <laughs> and I think a lot of them are going to move to virtual. And it's a lot of liability from a financial and also oh, exactly. just like a, a humanity standpoint. I think that. Uh, getting all those i mean it takes a lot of money to run those conferences it's actually great that some online conferences have been stepping up and we've seen a lot of them in the past month and there's going to be a couple of them coming up over the next couple months so yeah so it's really great that people pivoted yeah a lot more so besides nashville besides knoxville those are also coming up uh within the next month they've also pivoted into online and they're all totally free so anybody can sign up and join that um you know, we'll, we will leave links in the show notes, but, you know, we're huge supporters of B-Sides in general. TJ and I both, you know, run the B-Sides here in Charleston. So any of the B-Sides conferences that are, you know, I guess anywhere, but, you know, specifically in the, in the 
Southeast here, we, we, we definitely support those. So inclusion with the, the conferences that are going on, there's a lot of different CTS that are happening. Um, one of them, you know, Sands Net Wars, they had uh, their first event earlier in the year. It was actually pretty cool. It was, you know, geared more towards beginner CTF players, which was awesome. Um, but they do have two more events coming up. Uh, one of them was last week, and they have another one coming up in May that everybody should register for. Again, 100% free. Just, you know, as a training education, it's a two-day event. Normally, CTF should take you hopefully about a day to go through. But, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. I think a lot of people have gotten into the industry by taking SANS classes and really understanding how to, uh, to get into information security from that. So that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, C- CTFs are great events to just, you know... If you're thinking about information security or if you've been in the industry for a while, it's just a way to good, you know, sit down and sharpen your skill set. Yeah, and you learn you learn on the way and it's really actually I think a lot of people will think that CTFs are not direct comparisons to what you do in day jobs in most uh, information security fields, but the concept of really just understanding a problem looking at a problem, understanding that problem, and then having to look up how to solve that problem. I mean, that <laughs> that whole methodology is used in across the oh, board yeah, it's in countless. information security. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen plenty of, you know, just job interviews. They go through the same thing. It's <laughs> sit down, look at a problem, figure out how you're going to solve it, and just talk, talk your way through it. It's the same skill set that you're going to use in a CTF, you know, Look at a problem, logically dissect it, talk me through step by step, which step is failing. This is a step you need to figure out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I've actually, you know what? This has been the greatest year for cons because everything's been free. <laughs> it's been, yeah, you know, there's, actually, there's you don't been, even have to sign up for a lot yeah, of them. I mean, some of them, you know, have been minimal cost, you know, a couple bucks or 20 bucks at the most. But a majority of every, all the cons this year have been all free. They're all online. And it's been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it speaks a lot to the community that we have, especially when, you know, I think uh, a lot of it is, you know, when when stuff goes down, we sort of band together and we try to help out. I've seen a ton of free training going out there, even for paid courses that people have just waived the, the fees for X amount of time. People who have made training during their time uh, at home from this, uh, that's been great and people live streaming what they know and, and, and talking through and helping mentor people. It's been really reassuring for our community to sort of expand and, and really be able to bounce back from this. I know that oh, yeah. the, cyber I mean, threats don't stop. <laughs> the I mean, the information technology f- field in general has just been great as far as, you know, it comes to mentoring people, especially, you know, with this stuck at home thing. I, I've seen so many people on Twitter where it's, it's just like, hey, you know, are, are, do you want to get get into this field? Reach out to me. We can do a video conference. I'll do mock interviews with you. I'll do, you know, I'll teach you about this subject. Whatever, whatever the heck the subject is, I'll teach you about it. Doesn't matter. I know this. I know that. Or, you know, I think this community has been pretty good during all this, you know, stuck at home thing. Yeah, definitely. So, what is the the craziest thing you've done while you're stuck at home? 
that you can see on the radio. (laughs) The craziest thing I've done while stuck at home. I don't really have a crazy thing, but my wife has really made me accomplish a lot of the honey-do lists. My office has gotten totally rearranged. I've had to paint rooms in my house that I never thought I'd have to paint. Um, But yeah, there's no real crazy things that I've had to do. What about you? So you're saying you've worked harder than you've ever oh, done. Oh, yeah, life. definitely. This, this has been <laughs> the hardest I've ever had to work. Ever. <laughs> uh, what about you? Yeah, for me, uh, being being a new parent, I think it's been, my time has been sucked up on that. So honestly, I think it actually, from a staying at home standpoint, it didn't really affect me because I planned on trying to stay home as much as possible during this time anyway. So it, it wasn't too much of a change. I think the 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 funniest thing I've done is just uh, you know doing things like Disney sing-alongs, right? I, I, there you go. I've even even made up my own songs, so I may stop all this and start my music career soon. So just to forewarn you, if you don't hear any more podcasts from here, wait a minute, it's because I'm going platinum. So we're episode one. You're already talking and about I won't the sing end right now. Oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna flip into a Disney sing-along <laughs> podcast. All right, I hope everybody's ready. Right, we have to do a we have to do a sing along reboot of this podcast. <laughs> One in. <laughs> uh, great, just what I wanted to do. All right, I think we uh, have exhausted our time here, Ryan. So I'm going to let you guys go. See you, everyone. See you guys next month. Thanks for joining us on Thirty Day Infosec. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also connect with us at 30dayinfosec.com.